Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. If one person, just one person believes in our children, it just takes one, that will give them the confidence to soar and move on and do what they need to do. It just takes one person believing in them. Our guest today is Lucille Williams on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. We all, I think, long to find that place in this world, uh, what we're good at. That probably begins to emerge in our teen years, uh, where we belong, who are we, what's my identity. And then as we mature, we find the right rhythm and settle into places. I think that's getting through your 20s. Mm -hmm. 20s can be just so full of things. But as a child, you're just trying to figure out who you are and why am I here? And sometimes you don't see what God-given talents you have. Those are developing, right? Um, And so rooted in our personality. Today, we want to equip you as the parent to recognize your children's bents and to help them to determine their strengths and overcome their weaknesses, or maybe better said, their fears. Mm. And hopefully that will lead them to a strong identity in Christ, which is the goal. Yeah, and we're going to hear uh, about this through the story of Lucille Williams. Uh, She's been here before on the broadcast. Uh, She and Mike, a pastor, have three grown children and five grandchildren. And as an author, uh, Lucille has a terrific little book. It's called Turtle Finds His Talent, Discovering (laughs) How God Made You Special. It's a wonderful kids' book, and you can learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Lucille, welcome to Focus. Welcome back. Well, thank you. I am (laughs) thrilled to be here. You know, so often we're looking at children's books, and we say as parents, isn't this cute? I think the boys and I used to do Goodnight Moon. Do you remember remember that that one? one. And I made up up more to the story. I shouldn't tell the author that, but I uh, ended up inserting my own thoughts and ideas. That's okay. Well, I took the rhymes and sometimes said things that didn't rhyme just to get a stir out of the boys, and they loved it. Instead of brush and mush, it was brush and oatmeal. (laughs) You know, and they'd say, Daddy, it's mush. (laughs) I do that too. But with that, there is a lot of purpose in children's books, and not always, but in your case, definitely – because you're writing this book uh, to help them find who they are and then what are their gifts and talents. How did you come upon that idea? Well, it's an important concept to teach kids. Hmm. You know, when, when we're in the world, we see people that are really good at things and we compare what we're not good at to what they're really good at. And then we think, oh, what's wrong with me? And I know I took that all the way into my adulthood. Not just as a child, but even as an adult. I mean, why can't I do what they do? And then finally I realized, no, I'm, I'm different. I'm made differently. God designed me differently, and it's okay. Maybe that's your strength. Mm. And I think we can lean into our struggles as our strengths. You know, when you look at children today, uh, this book I would assume would be for what ages? Pretty young. Two to six, or maybe yeah. even a little younger, maybe even a little older. Yeah, okay, but the the... Sweet spot would be two to six. So, mm-hmm. But think about how quickly children today are developing with doubts mm-hmm. because of uh, digital influence and all the things. It's like all the good and all the bad of the neighborhood is right there in front of them today. Even at that age, you go to a grocery store, kids are looking at tablets and looking at phones and everything's just right there. And I think the question isn't about you know, the good or the bad of technology. It's more about the imprint 
of kids today and what they're hearing. And it so often is you're not good enough mm-hmm. or you're different in a weird way or right. whatever it might be. So again, that was your motivation to get kids to start thinking about the positive things in them, the talents that yes. they could begin to see. And to Absolutely. help parents do that, right? Absolutely. And, you know, as our kids are growing up, you know, one of the things as a parent that I didn't do really well, and I wish I could go back and do it better, was listening to my kids' emotions. Mm. As a parent, my kids would be sad or they'd tell me something that was difficult, and my my heart would break for them. Yeah. And instead of saying, well, it's okay, you're feeling that way. Tell me about it. I would want to fix it because I couldn't deal with the pain they were feeling. Right. So instead of saying, oh, honey, it's okay. Tell me about that. Oh, yes, mommy understands that. No, it was, oh, well, it's going to be okay. Do you want to, you know, let's go eat some cake or something. I was trying to <laughs> make them feel better rather than right. validating their feelings. Right. And I think that's an important thing to do when they come home and say, hey, this happened at school. It's okay to say, okay, well, it's all right. Let's Let's talk about this. Tell me how you're feeling. I can remember. I remember I didn't have access to an emotion card like they have today. So when the kids were growing up, I'd draw, take time to draw the six faces or eight faces, whatever I could come up with. Anger's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Smiley <laughs> yeah. face is easy. Now, embarrassment. How do you draw a face that's embarrassed? You know, So you come up with those things, and I'd have the boys point to how they're feeling. So I tried in my archaic stick man way <laughs> to draw that's these wonderful. out. How did you get... Uh, captivated. And I think this is peering into the creative mind of, uh, you know, really insightful adults that write children's books. How'd you come up with the turtle? And what was the turtle all about? Well, I have ADHD. (laughs) There's the creative mind. There's the creative mind. Absolutely. But I never knew I did until I was way into my adult years when I finally got diagnosed and I was like, oh, so many things make sense now. Like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> I was that kid that that struggled in school, but I was creating and I was making, like I would, anytime the family was together, I'd throw my cousins together and put little outfits on them and I'd do a show for the family. You don't get graded on that in school. Right. You don't get graded on your creativity on and energy. your game dreaming and your, <laughs> your, you know, your, your ability to boss your, you know, your siblings and your cousins around and make them do shows and make the adults laugh. They don't grade you for that in school. So I was good at that. But sometimes when I had to like really focus and learn in school, that was really difficult for me. And so I realized like in looking at the animal kingdom, I looked at these little turtles and, you know, they can't keep up. They're a little... You know, they go slow. They're, you know, they're just different. And, and I thought about other animals and I thought, okay. And then when the turtle can't do what they want to do, they go inside the shell and they hide. Mm. And I thought we do that sometimes when we feel shame or embarrassment. We pull away instead of stepping into our relationships because we feel, you know, we feel like we're not good enough. Yeah. And we are. God made each of us special. If you're out there listening today and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm good enough. You are. You are good enough. God made you just the way you are. And we are good enough just as we are with our challenges. Yeah. And it's there's a distinction. Some Christians are going to say, well, wait a minute. You're not good enough. You're a sinner. 
That's not what you're talking about. Not no. about the sinful part of life. Right. We're all sinners saved by grace. Absolutely. But what you're saying is God loves you and accepts you as you are. Exactly. That's, that's the big point. And yes. then we move from there, and hopefully we go toward redemption, which is the goal. Let's speak to your childhood, because so much of your childhood is part of the story of why you even do children's books. So you're this little girl. Obviously, you've described some of what you're dealing with. Nobody gave you a good grade for squirming in the seat at school. I guess speak to those things in your childhood that gave you that pain, that sense. You've said it several times now that you didn't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. So you're you're expressing something that was there. Right, right. I was that kid in class that, you know how they go around the room and they read? Mm. I was that kid in class that went, oh, no, and I counted the kids in front of me. I had trouble with reading, especially reading out loud. So, oh, so difficult in my yeah. you know, early elementary years. And so as, the, as it would get closer, I would try to figure out what part I was going to read and try to get ready for it, and my heart would be pounding, and I'd be having a panic attack in my seat. And then finally it would get to me, and there were big words that I couldn't pronounce. And so I'd try to pause before the big word so the kids didn't know which word I couldn't pronounce. And inevitably, no matter what I did, the class ended up laughing at me because I'd say it wrong or I couldn't, or just the way I read. And it was just so shaming for me as a kid. And I just felt like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I read like the other kids? How come I can't take tests like the other kids? What is wrong with me? Did you have an adult in your life, like your parents, obviously, or the teachers, anybody talk with you and and soothe that emotional trauma? Well, not really. I mean, my parents, you know, they, they were good people, but they had their own stuff that they were dealing with. And like, for instance, we lived in New Jersey. And when I was six, my dad came home one day and said, we're moving. That's it. He looked at my mom. He says, we're moving to California. And you didn't see that as a good thing in New Jersey. Uh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know I'm what yeah, I didn't know what California was. All my dad said is there was no bees there because it was like the perfect paradise. That's what my dad's idea of California was. So the first time I saw a bee, I'm like, what's this doing here? My dad said there's no bees. But And so he told my mom, we're, I'm going. We're moving. We're going. He sold the house, packed us all up in the family Buick. And by the time I was seven, we were in California. But before we left, we had to say goodbye to my big Italian family. Yeah. And I still remember the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents just crying and screaming both sides. We stopped at each side of the family. And as we're, and I'm just a little kid. I don't know what's going on. And just, it was just horrific having to, to watch this and the cries and the screams. And so we land in California and we're in a motel. He's working so finally we got in this apartment and you know my all this to say my parents they had their own stuff that they were dealing with right they had their own issues and they just weren't really in tune to what was going on with me at the time and my dad he was just trying to put food on the table he had invested some money in the stock market and he'd come home at lunchtime and he'd watch the stock market and he'd be all upset and so I just you know, I didn't want to give them any more to worry about. So I just kind of had to deal with it on my own. I had to figure it out. What do you think was the benefit of that? I mean, it, it's a valley. And, you know, so many people, I I love that idea. Trust people that walk with a limp. Because mm-hmm. people that go from mountaintop to mountaintop and have not had a valley experience, in my uh, view, uh, don't seem as well-rounded in their character, if I could say it that way. When you're the darling all the time, uh, there's a kind of a false sense of identity in that, I believe. But when you're broken, just like the scripture says, he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. 
why not run to that if that's where God will meet you? And that's where you were. I agree. I agree with you, yes. Uh, For me, well, in school, I learned to always sit in the front. So that kept me focused. Wow. I was, I'd get there early and I'd get myself in the front because I knew if I was in the back, there was a lot of distractions between where the teacher was and all the way to the back of the class. So get yourself in the front. And I learned to make friends with kids who are really smart and they would help me. So I learned how to make connections, which can be challenging when you have ADHD because you get very distracted. Right. And sometimes when you have someone in your life that has ADHD, it can feel like they don't care about you. Right. So my message to those with ADHD is to pay attention because sometimes the way you're getting distracted, people think you don't care. Like, for instance, one day I'm watching um, a movie with my kids when they were teenagers. And we're watching a movie and I say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom and they're waiting for me. They're waiting for me. They're waiting for they me. They got it on pause. Uh, yeah, they're waiting. <laughs> then my daughter comes in. She's like, mom, I was cleaning the bathroom. I forgot. We were watching a movie. Uh, and I'm like, I literally forgot. I saw the bathroom you need to clean. I thought, oh, I better clean the bathroom. She's like, mom, we're watching a movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, we were. And then she goes out and tells her brother, mom's in there cleaning the bathroom. And they're laughing. So I come out and I go, guys, I'm so sorry. I, I, I got caught up in cleaning the bathroom. But they understood. Like, you know, we didn't know I had ADHD at the time. But we knew that I got distracted. So knowing this about myself, I was very strategic about letting the people in my life know how much I care about them. And I still do that today. Because you could, they could be telling you something really serious. And all of a sudden, you're glancing the other way. And it's like, wait a minute, that can be taken as you don't care. So you have to go, oh, I'm sorry, my my ADHD just kind of took me for a minute. But I really care about what you're saying. And I care about you. Please continue. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts. Hey parents, parent here. Not to sound old, but if I had a dollar for every time someone told me how to parent, well, let's just say I wouldn't need to read this ad to you today. I'd be sitting on the beach somewhere with my feet up. Truth is, I don't trust everyone to tell me stuff. And I don't have time for that 500-page book either. But I do have time for Focus on the Family's weekly age and stage emails that have tips for intentionally raising my son at his age right now. It's super easy. Go to MyKidsAge.com, put in your kid's age, and get parenting advice you can trust. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's talk about some practical uh, ways to help our children discover those talents. Uh, You're touching on it. Why do you think in, in some ways it is important and very difficult? I was pretty much a failure at this, at letting the kids struggle. But why is it important to let your kids struggle? If we don't allow them to struggle and we're always following or going before them, fixing everything, that's not life. 
that's not life, right? We, when we go out and we try to do things, you're going to fall flat on your face and then you got to pick yourself back up. And if our kids never had to fall and then pick themselves back up, they didn't learn that. They didn't learn that when you stick with it, you can do it. You got to just, you got to stay with things and you got to be willing to let those things that happen and the challenges and all the obstacles that are going to get in the way, you have to let those happen for your kids. But oftentimes it's more painful for us parents than it is for the kids. And you don't want to see your kids struggle. It's so hard. It's so painful. But we got to remind yourself that it's that those struggles that are going to make them strong and make them succeed and make them do the things that God has for them. Yeah, And I think I, I wished I would have kept my eye on that ball a little better rather than rescuer. Rescuer is an interesting thing because I think we do it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Aren't I a good parent? Because hmm. my child's never had to suffer. And it's not healthy. But it is what we do. Uh, your son, I think, Tim, had some struggles with reading. That must have brought up a lot of stuff for you, given that you had that difficulty in elementary school. How did you help Tim approach that differently mm. and kind of move from shame to less shame? Yes, when we realized he was having struggles, and oh man, teachers, they're heroes. I just, yeah, teachers they are. are amazing. But when you think about it, they've got such a big group of kids, so they can't see everything. They just can't. Even in your home, you can't see everything. And so sometimes what is happening at school, you know, you just hear about the struggles. You know, when a teacher contacts you, it's not normally because, hey, I just want to tell you, your kid's doing great and they got straight A's and they're doing great. No, it's the, the area that they're struggling in. And, and unfortunately, even as parents sometimes, we're focusing in on where our kid's struggling rather than going, wow, you're great here and you're great here and you're great there. And don't worry about that, see, we'll, we'll work on that. But with Tim, he really had difficulty with reading and letters and all of that. So what my husband and I did is we would put, um, it started out as letters on doors. And in order for him to go through that door, he had to say what letter it was on the door. Oh, that's great. And then we finally, you know, got to words and like, you know, what is this word? And so we would stop and we go, okay, what's this word, Tim? And then Tim would look at the word and he'd figure it out and then we can go through the door. And once he got whatever was on the door, then we would change it. And so all the doors in the house had letters and, and uh, words and he would, and he would have to say them all day long. And so it was a fun game rather than, well, you're not reading well, sweetheart. So we got to practice this. No, it was, hey, what's on this door? And he would say it, and it was a fun game. And you never put ribonucleic acid on the door, I hope, right? <laughs> you didn't do that, did you? Did not. <laughs> or dextro ribonucleic acid. No. That'd be no, mean. No. <laughs> but that's a creative way of doing that, and it, I'm sure it helped him. The Again, here's the underlying observation of that. Not only could he begin to know the alphabet and know the words that were critical, but it gave him confidence, mm. which is the most important aspect of that, right? Mm -hmm. That you gain confidence. I'll tell you, life it is about confidence and not, not ego, but I'm, I mean leadership confidence, being able to be confident in what you're expressing. And boy, I think we as Christians really need to be confident in what we believe, but it starts at a young age. And that ability to be able to be there. You also helped him get into boxing. Now, here's a contradiction. A Christian mom saying, son, I think you need to get into boxing. Yes. Talk about that. Well, he real young, we put him in soccer. 
And his first game, I remember my dad came over to me and said, get him piano lessons. He just he just didn't have the gift for soccer. That's well, way too much running. Yeah, I can exactly. tell you that now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, and he he was such a sweet kid. He he was oh. the kid that would notice if a girl had a new dress and go, oh, your dress is so pretty. Oh, and But sweet. then he started getting picked on mm. in elementary school. Oh, I did not know what to do. I was just... Uh, frantic as a mom so I would anyone who I would talk to who's an adult I say hey my son's getting picked on you have any advice and so I just kept asking people for advice and I remember running into this female who was a boxer which is unusual and I told her about my son she says well you know you you live in Santa Cruz. they have this free boxing program why don't you take him over there and see if he wants to box I'm like Okay, that's kind of weird. I mean, I don't want anyone hitting my kid, but if this stops him from getting picked on, then let's try it. So I, he came home from school that day, and I said, Tim, you know, what do you think? You want to go try boxing? Goes, sure, Mom. So I take him over to the boxing center. We watch the whole thing. So we finish up at the, you know, the session finished and I'm like, what do you think? I mean, it was smelly and, you know, it was lower income area. So right, but it was all that nitty gritty gym yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and so he's like, mom, I want to do this. Really? He goes, yeah, I do. I go, okay. So now it was a commitment on both of our parts. And so we were there pretty much every day and he, he stuck with it and he was, so, he got so good. I couldn't believe it. And I remember as he got older, his coach was this small, tough, tattooed guy who had grown up on the streets, and oh, he was tough. And he taught our son things that we could never teach him because that wasn't our experience. And I remember him coming up to me, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this kid. This is boxing. He's sweet, but I got to make him mean. This is boxing. He goes, he doesn't even swear. And he looks at me, he goes, I'll bet you he gets good grades, too. I'm like, yeah, he does. And he's like, I don't know. I got to make him tough. This is boxing. And he did. Huh. And so he boxed up until he went off to college. And so he had a decision to make. Okay, do I want to? He could have gone professional. He could have maybe gone toward the Olympics. Really? But he decided, I want to go to Bible college. I was like, yay, because I was, I was done watching him get punched. I really was. Yeah. And, and so he ended up going to Bible college. That's amazing. But, you know, what you're expressing there generally is the principle that parents need to catch, and that is your children need to believe that you believe in them. And elaborate on that, because sometimes we could think that we're building up a kind of a pride or ego in our child if we say it too much. I mean, I, I don't think that's true, but some people may feel that way. I guess speak to the importance of making sure your children believe that you believe in them. How do you do it without it being syrupy or really do it to the point where it's not even believed because it's over the top or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. That was something that, like even today, if I were to call my my son I was just talking about and tell him that he's doing a really good job with something or I saw something and, you know, Tim, you're doing a great job. He goes, thanks, Mom. But it matters I just took every opportunity I could to show my kids what was great about them. And we I don't think as parents we can ever lavish our kids with too much love and praise. I think that our kids really, really need that. They need to know that we believe in them. If one person, just one person believes in our children, it just takes one. That will give them the confidence to soar and move on and do what they need to do. It just takes one person believing in them. Lucille, you're a very energetic person. I mean, everything about you is just beaming. Um, I'm thinking of the parent where that child is, 
having difficulty, maybe junior high. It seems like we all have difficulty in junior high. Mm-hmm. I remember being punched in the chest in junior high by a much bigger guy. And, uh, man, it just destroyed me for a few days. You know, like, I'm never going to be big enough to take care of myself. I think I've gotten to that point. So. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the point of that is many parents may struggle with knowing what to do. You know, like your dad saying, hey, I got enough of my own problems. You got to take care of yourself. That is a a point of strength and resiliency that a child is going to learn through that. But there's also a place for a parent to step in, like you did with Tim, to encourage him to do boxing, even though that didn't seem to be his bent, and then he was brilliant at it. How does a parent assess that and then get engaged and not let kind of the stuff of life just blind you from what your child is screaming, maybe not verbally, but emotionally, screaming that they need. If I wasn't on the other side of this, I wouldn't know this. But my two oldest, they struggled. It was struggle after struggle after struggle. And my husband and I would just sit down, be in their corner, be with them, you know, just just different things with school and friends and as they got in their teen years, breakups, and it was just heartaching. And we we would just walk it through with them. And to those parents out there, wouldn't you want your kid to struggle while you're right there? Oh, yeah. Not the day you drop them off at college. That's not when you want struggle to start. That's, that's a terrible time for that to start then. Not that it's not going to happen. But you want them to go through those things with you so you yeah. could jump in and be there and be by their side and hold their hand and be there when they fall. Even during those years where they're like, no, go away. I don't want to talk to you about this. Okay, that's fine. When they're ready... They will find you and they will talk to you. You just have to wait and be ready. Well, I think people are getting a good insight into your heart. And this wonderful children's book, really about uh, ages two to six, Turtle Finds His Talent. It's got fun pull tabs and a bunch of things in here. But it's the story. It's the story that matters and what you're teaching your child. And, And then I would say, as a parent, you know, do a little study of your child at that age. Begin to understand what their talents are. Begin to reinforce those. I love the weaknesses that you did with your son, Tim, and help him with the alphabet, help him with words, put him on the door, can't open the door until you tell me what letter it is. That's that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, again, this is just orienting you as a parent to better understand your child. That's always a good thing. So thank you for being with us, Lucille. It's thank been wonderful. Thank you for wonderful. having me. Yeah. And as always, we want to get this into your hands, especially if you have a child about that age in your orbit, maybe as a grandparent or a parent. Uh, if you can make a gift of any amount to focus on the family, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. We'll make it real easy. And uh, that way, we're doing ministry together to help other families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast to make a donation and to request your book, Turtle Finds His Talent, or give us a call, 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Hey, John, also a really exciting new resource that we have for parents is something we've been working on for years, but it's age and stage e-newsletter. So you can go in to Focus on the Family at the website. You can create your family's profile in that age and stage area. Tell us the age or fill in the age of your children and we'll age that record appropriately and send you newsletters that will relate to parenting a child at that age. Pretty simple. It actually was sparked when I went to the pediatrician long ago 
And uh, the pediatrician gave me the two-year-old sheet and what I could expect with Trent's behavior. And I remember thinking, wow, we should be able to do that at Focus. Well, it's taken us a little while. Uh-huh. But this content has been put together with that in mind. Mm. Yeah, Age and Stage is a great resource. You can sign up for those weekly newsletters at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. If the fights with your spouse have become unbearable, if you feel like you can't take it anymore, there's still hope. Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped thousands of couples like yours. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face them together. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. That's 1-866-875-2915. Today on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, we'll be talking about some of the good things and the potential bad things that can affect your marriage. Uh, I'm John Fuller, and to get us started, Jim, let's uh, review some inspirational quotes for married couples. For example, uh, a great marriage is not when the perfect couple comes together, it's when an imperfect couple learns to enjoy their differences. I think we could just sit right there and think about that for a minute. But another one is, at the end of the day, you can either focus on what's pulling you apart or what's keeping you together. That's good. That's good. Um, How about this one? A quote uh, that couples might want to put on the wall. (laughs) Against all odds and despite all obstacles, we are going to make it. We're committed. And here's one from our guest today, Dave Willis, who said, your marriage will not be defined by the size of your struggles, but the size of your commitment to overcome the struggles together. And I really like that. I think it's a healthy way to look at uh, marital strife. Indeed. You know, we often say this, but it's worth repeating again and again. A good marriage doesn't happen. You got to work toward that, and that should be a goal. Um, all of us can be a little lazy at times. It's kind of like, you know, I practiced, I did the two a days. Now we're in the season. I don't need to work out that hard. You know, for all of us sports fanatics, that's the analogy, but it is something you have to think about and practice and work toward. And it's so funny. So often I'll come home and say, Gene, I, I've got two things we should think about in our marriage to go. Who, who did you record with today? <laughs> is, you know, she gets me every time. She's actually right. I'm bringing somebody else's great idea home to try it, but our goal here at Focus on the Family is to help you have the best possible marriage you can have, especially as Christians. But even non-believers can benefit from God's natural truth and law, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, today we're going to have a great discussion about encouraging you and helping you in your marriage. Yeah, and uh, this is going to help take your relationship to the next level. And in many ways, the conversations for couples in healthy relationships We have a lot of resources here if you're struggling, and we'd invite you to stop by our website or give us a call. Uh, The conversation with Dave and Ashley Willis is going to be good. They're fun, and they have a lot of great content. Uh, They've devoted themselves to helping men and women grow in their marriages, and uh, they host the Naked Marriage podcast. They write books. They speak, and uh, they write for the Exo Marriage Ministry as well. Well, Dave and Ashley, welcome back. 
Thank you. We love hanging out. With you guys. <laughs> We've been having fun just we love just talking. I know we have. Yeah, thank and you. And it's for really us. good to have you guys. You're a bright spot. You know, you come in and light up a room together. Mm-hmm. So that that actually says something about your relationship too. I think. Oh, well, thank you, Ashley. Yeah. Especially she lights guys. up a room. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's just it's it's life. That's what that is. Hey, you both blog regularly, and we're going to pull. I think this content is really pulling from a lot of your blog stuff. So now you're going, oh, what did we say? What did we say? <laughs> and we haven't told you ahead of time what we're going to ask you about. But, uh, for example, you tell couples to share everything they can rather than have separate bank accounts and hobbies and maybe even friends. Uh, what are you getting at there not to do life separately? Yeah, I think it's important. I think the healthiest couples and the, like our mentors, those we look at, those who've been married 50, 60, 70 years and still are best friends, one of the trends we've seen in them is that they they share as much as they can and they, they don't divide up their lives as his and hers. You know, his dreams, her dreams, his money, her money, his friends, her friends. Now, of course, you're going to have some stuff that that you do that's more of a hobby for you or more of a pursuit for you. But as a whole, the more we can share, the more we can we can overlap and realize that our lives, our goals, by God's design, are meant to be unified in a really special I way. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I was a little worried there because uh, I, I do enjoy golf, and yeah, Jean but... does not like to play golf. So I thought, oh, goodness, if she doesn't play, then i got to no, give no, this no. up. Can... Like, what? Yeah, you can keep you keep your hobbies, for sure. I mean, you don't have to. You're not Siamese twins in marriage. I mean, you can still <laughs> yes. do some stuff, but... But just as a whole, the more we can say, how can we share more experiences, I think is a good place to start. Ashley, you also talk and blog often and write uh, about young couples putting their relationship on hold during the early years of parenting. We we definitely didn't intend for that to happen, but man, parenting is exhausting. Yes. And it's easy to say, okay, here's some areas I could carve out a little time to sleep and, Mm -hmm. you know, not be as attentive with my spouse, et cetera. Uh, why is that dangerous? Man, I, listen, we really fell into this dynamic too because you're just so busy and you're, like you said, you're so exhausted. But it's so dangerous because I think a lot of couples tell themselves, well, our kids need our attention right now and they need our best attention right now. We each understand that. So you just need to know that I love you and like deal with it, you know, and then we'll reintroduce ourselves to each other kind of when our kids grow up and are out of the house. And what we, <laughs> That's I mean, a long time. I know it's a very <laughs> right, long yeah. time, but this yeah. really is, I think on a subconscious level, what couples do and what we're finding is they end up with an empty nest and an empty marriage. And there's yeah. like an epidemic of couples, you know, raising their kids, getting to that kind of finish line of um, getting kids, you know, launched, so to speak. You never really finish parenting. You're always a parent. But, you know, they, they all of a sudden have, have this house to themselves again. And they're like, I don't know this person. In that context, though, looking back, uh, especially for couples that may not have done that well, they did pour into their kids. They made it a kid-centric home, and that's what you're talking about, versus a marriage-centric home, Mm -hmm. and the kids are just there. What are some things you could do to kind of say, okay, we got to change that? Because it's really hard. A a mom's heart is for her kids. So it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to change some things. What does that look like? Well, it looks like looking at your schedule because there are some things that happen to us in life that we don't have control over, but we as adults can have control over our schedule. And so I know for us, it looked like not doing every single activity our kids wanted to do in every season of their childhood, putting some things on the shelf and saying like, okay, you know, we have four boys. You can do one activity right now so that mom and dad can have a date night. Like in our house, Mondays are date night. We call it Mondays and they call it mom, dad time. Like they, it's just, it's just how our kids, you know, refer to it. It was 
wasn't always that way, but we had to put things kind of in the schedule to make sure that, that we had time together and we were being really intentional about that, but also preparing our kids for that time because we hear a lot of parents say, well, I don't, you know, I would love to go on a date, but my son or daughter is going to lose it. They're going to be so upset. The babysitter's going to call me. We're going to waste that time and that money and I'm going to have to come home anyway. It's just too hard. And I get that, but it takes working through a couple of hard times where the kids don't get it and just prepping them saying like, listen, this is because mom and dad love each other and we love you so much that we want to have a really good marriage. We'll be home in a couple hours. Don't worry, we're coming back. And eventually the kids do rise to the occasion, but it takes working through a couple of hard moments. You warn couples about turning into cable company marriages. Now, I've never personally worked for a cable company, so <laughs> I'm not sure how they right. operate, but what's going on with that analogy? Well, so the, the thought came, like we had this guy that was going door to door in our neighborhood and selling like, you know, internet and cable and, and all this stuff. And, and he was like, man, I got, I got the, the, an amazing deal for you as a new customer, the, the best. I'm like, oh man, you do that for me. You know, like, you know, it, it was the best price, the best service, all this stuff. And he was like, and it lasts for 12 whole months. And I'm like, what happens after 12 months? And he's like, well, you know, that's, this is our initial offer for new cut. But after 12 months, you know, the price will go up. You're not going to get all these same services. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second, you're telling me, you're telling me like, you're giving me the best you got right up front. But then after we've developed a relationship and, you know, you, I'm committed, then you give me as little as you can to keep me around. And he sort of laughed and he said, yeah, but that's how everybody does it. <laughs> oh, and wow. I, I, I got thinking, I said, you know what? I think in, in our marriages, in our culture, there's some of that mentality, the kind of the, the cable company mentality. It's like at the beginning of the relationship, I'm going to give you everything I got. I'm all the goodies. All the goodies, mm-hmm. everything. You know, your number one priority, you are the most important thing in my life. But then after the the introductory period wears off and the deal has been sealed and I feel like I've got you, then people start saying, well, what's the least amount of effort I can give to keep this person around? Right. And and marriages, we, we just see an epidemic of marriages that sort of operate like that with this consumer mentality of, I want to get as much as I can from this relationship, give as little as I can to this relationship. And it's just, it's toxic and it's broken and it's the opposite of what God intended marriages to be. And so... What we challenge ourselves to do and challenge couples to do is continue to pursue each other, continue to try to outserve one another, to give each other your best through every season of marriage. And if you'll do those things consistently, then your marriage really can grow sweeter and richer over time instead of drifting apart. And, and the gray divorce that we're seeing with, with these new empty nesters getting divorced at an alarming rate, and it can keep getting better. Even if you've had sort of that cable company mentality up to now, you can start right where you are and say, wow, you know, I've realizing that I've, I've, I've blown it in this area and I want to restart. I want to do it better. I want to start serving you and pursuing you again. I'm smiling because I'm thinking of the buzzword or the keyword. You know, a lot of us couples will, to escape a situation, you'll have a certain, uh, like, first base coach signal right, or something right. like that. But in this case, it'd be, have you paid the cable bill, honey? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's your, uh, hey, you're coming yeah. from the wrong direction here. Yeah. yeah so that's good. that'd be a good little uh, signal to your spouse. Have you paid the cable bill? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> I'm not here for the old uh, contract. But yes. Ashley, let me ask you this. Uh, outsource. You talk about this in your blogs. Outsourcing your friendships, et cetera. Uh, why is that uh, kind of a little... Uh, dangerous to do that, and and what do we need to guard against? Because I, like for women, you often hear in marriage counseling that you know what your husband can't meet all your emotional needs, mm-hmm. so you need these strong friendships with women that can help you know fill in that blank. 
Right. And all the husbands said, amen. (laughs) But you're saying be careful. Yes. So illuminate that for me. We absolutely need friendships. And and this, you know, the person we marry can't fulfill every single one of our needs. And they shouldn't, you know, and that's a dangerous place. I know. (laughs) I don't fulfill all your needs. I know. I'm just now hearing this. Oh, you know. I mean, after 22 years, he he knows, man. And it's like, and I I think it's, it's wrong to put that on our spouse. We're really setting ourselves up for disappointment. So we need really good godly friendships. But where where I kind of see this go wrong is we see both men and women can do this, but especially with women, I see, because this is my world, you know, that I live in. I see women form these really strong bonds with their best friends and they plan, like they always have something on the calendar with their best friends, with their ladies. They're always going to have a girl's trip. They're always going to have a ladies night. So they're intentional. So they're very intentional about that but won't be intentional at all about date night. And maybe their husband isn't being intentional about that either. And then it just becomes like a lot of times when we've counseled with people going through this, it becomes eventually like a husband bash fest. Like, you know, I have my girls, I'm getting through life with my girls. And and then we just kind of talk bad about everything our husband is doing wrong. And so then after you're with those people who you love and, and I'm sure have some good things to say, but like there's this, when you're bashing your husband, you come home and you're going to treat your husband in the way that you were just talking about yeah. him and they were talking about their husbands. And so it can breed negativity. So I just always warn women, like it doesn't mean you can't have a trusted friend to talk through some of your marital issues with, but you need to make sure that friend has four qualities. They first of all need to love God. They need to love you. They need to love your spouse. Okay. Mm. And also before your marriage. And if they don't have all four of those qualities, you can't really trust what they're going to tell you. They can tell you stuff about other things in your life, but if they don't have all four of those qualities, then they're not going to give the best marriage advice. And I would also be very leery of of taking marriage advice from someone who's bashing their husband all the time because they're probably in a really rough spot. It doesn't mean they're not a great person. I'm not trying to, to hate on people who are going through that because I, I know people go through really rough times, but we don't need to go to them and start you know, getting marriage advice from someone who clearly is just down on marriage right now in their life. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Join me for the newest Refocus with Jim Daly podcast episode with special guest Dr. Frank Turek. Join us as we unpack the difference between cultural tolerance and real love. It is true that, yes, Jesus wants everybody to love one another, but love doesn't mean approval. Love seeks what's best for the other person. Visit refocuswithjimdaily.com for this insightful conversation. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Dave, I use a term, the snoozer marriage. Uh, it makes me laugh. I mean, I think, okay, I could get into that. I mean, sometimes I think husbands, if we're talking about women who connect with friends and very intentional, mm-hmm. and it leans in the wife's direction, I, I would say that's probably true, not to be stereotypical, but um, there's that relational connection that women have that's mm-hmm. different from men. Sure. Our problem is the snoozer marriage. I like this, where you, you kind of hesitate and move away from conflict you know you just hit hit the snooze button we'll deal with that later exactly and guys are really i i'm really prone to that i don't really want to deal with that right now snooze yes (laughs) snooze like let's let's just pretend it's not there right right and let's not deal with it because you know what'll happen yeah, but you got you got to do it though. You know, you got to deal with stuff. It's kind of like having a if you got a tumor, a cancerous tumor inside your body, you can walk around for a certain amount of time and pretend it's not there, yeah. because it's going to be painful to have that thing cut out. But it has to come out. 
or it's going to grow, it's going to metastasize, it's going to get worse. And within relationships, within marriage specifically, when there are these un, undealt with issues, they're kind of like a tumor that it has to be surgically removed. It has to be dealt with, identified, taken out. And that can be a painful process. It can be a messy process, but mm-hmm. you got to do it. And I think, I think for men, just to challenge the guys for a second, again, not to be stereotypical, but women tend to do a better job of being able to lean in and and real, have real discussions. They want that resolution. Yeah, they want the resolution. And guys, we tend to be better, I guess is probably, it may be the wrong word, but better at ignoring stuff, you know, just <laughs> pretending that it's not there. And even, I think about even in our like male friendships, we can keep stuff on the surface. Like I'll go hang out with my friends and, and like, hey, I had, I had lunch with Bob and Sweetie's like, well, how are, you know, how are his kids? Is, is his kids still struggling? I'm like, Bob has kids? Yeah. And like, Seriously. Like the struggle part. Right, Bob right. actually like, has kids. Well, he has I'm children. Like, She's like, what are you guys talking? You didn't talk about family? How's his wife? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't ask him that stuff. Like, and it's four and a half hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Right. Like we were just... We were just talking about football. I don't know. No, it is so, <laughs> so We've got to lean in a little bit more in yes. all of our relationships, but especially in marriage, to get to the root of what's going on and to not be content with just living on the surface. Ashley, uh, emotions in marriage. Huh. Are there emotions in marriage? <laughs> um, but they, they aren't reliable. Right. I mean, love cannot be built simply as an emotion. It's right. a commitment. It's a decision that you make all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, discuss that idea that if we're trying to live just on the emotional side of love, when that tank is dry, you may end up doing or saying things that are not helpful to the relationship. So you have to move it out of the emotional area and make it a decision. Right. Man, this is so true. And we've experienced that in our own marriage where we've gone through like dry spells where you're just, maybe you're not feeling all gushy about each other because life is hard. You know, for us, it's been transitions like moving and not really feeling part of the community and then kind of taking it out on each other, but not necessarily yelling at each other, which I'm, I'm sure that that happens too, but just kind of not being as kind to each other, just in our countenance, in our tone and things like that. You know, I'm reminded just by you asking that question about emotions years ago, I was going on a girl's trip with two dear friends of mine and in the car, our friend who'd been married for 10 years says, I've decided to leave my husband. And we're all like, what? Like, yeah, he's not, we, wow. I mean, it, it dropped a bomb. Yeah. And we were like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. I didn't know things were bad. She goes, no, things are fine. There's not been any infidelity. He's pretty good to me, actually. She's like, I just I just don't have those feelings anymore, and I need to have those feelings. And um, so my friend, who was also traveling with us, we both really were kind of praying in the spirit, you know, just like, Lord, give us the words. And we did. We just kind of asked her some questions about, well, do you think that maybe you could go for this amount of time and see a counselor? Or have you read this book? You know, just different things that have helped us through our marriages. And we really shared our testimony about going through hard times. And let me tell you, by the end of that trip, I saw God do the miraculous in my friend, and it was like she stopped really depending on her emotions to guide her marriage, and she was like, you know what? I, I'm letting my emotions drive this this marriage, and I do want to feel those feelings, but she said, I'm going to focus on the commitment, and I'm going to go home, and we're going to get help. And I'm here to tell you, they did the hard work, and they ended up you know, getting through that hard time. They ended up having another child, and today they're still married, and they're in love more than ever, but it goes back to not letting emotions be that kind of that gauge to judge your marriage, so to speak, because yes, we need to look at our emotions. I mean, there's something to look at and to say like, why am I feeling this way? But we can't let that be our compass. You know, God is our compass. God is our foundation. And we have to really follow our commitments. And we hope our our commitments are built on the foundation of Christ and knowing that he can get us through anything. Right. And it's so good. And some people might be saying, 
Yeah, you know, I'm committed, but it's so dry. That's where the work we're talking about comes in. Just put work into it. Yes. And it does require some of that, and and your marriage will be in a better place. Mm -hmm. Believe me, we are up on all the statistics. We're reading all the social science coming out. I think Brad Wilcox, Dr. Brad Wilcox out of the University of Virginia, has a, a relatively new book out. It's just called Get Married Mm -hmm. because all the data is you will be happier, more joyful. Life will be better for you if you're in a loving marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's unassailable. This is it. This is like 50-year research that Mm -hmm. they're looking at. So Societies will be better. I mean, like communities will be better. Families will be better. How about that? God's plan at work. It really works. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Duh. Yeah. But uh, there we are. Dave, I understand you have a friend named Josh who's been a good encourager for you. You were training for a marathon. How did he man up with you to say, come on, dude? Yeah. Well, you got to have have friends in your life that push you. Like Ashley did with with her friend in that moment of, of... real turning point of like th- this marriage could end or it could move forward. And the voices that you allow to speak into your life when you're coming to a crossroads are so important. Uh, so if you're right now listening and maybe your marriage is in a hard place or whatever, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who love you, love your spouse, are going to speak truth. And we all need friends who will push us in other areas as well. And, sure. and so the, the one time I finished a marathon, I, I tried once on my own. I didn't finish because I hadn't trained right. And so there's this Marine friend in our church named Josh, who is like his blood type is testosterone. He's just this manly <laughs> dude and had run marathons, but is also still like really muscly. I'm like, how do you run distance with that much muscle? It doesn't make sense, but he, he does it. And I'm like, Hey, could I run with you? Would you show me how to, how to train to do a marathon? And he's like, yeah, we start tomorrow, 6 a.m. You know, I'm like, whoa, hang on, no donuts. Like, no donuts. Like, wait, yeah. it's 6 a.m. I'm a pastor. I'm not Amish. I don't want to get up. You need to expand your definition of friends. Right, right. Yeah. I know. I and know. he's like, no, we start tomorrow. So so we get out there, and like, and I'm like, he's like, all right, today, seven miles. So I'm like, wait a second. Am I going to, like, ride a bike for this? Or yeah. am I going to drive for five of it or what? No, seven miles. And he had this whole plan. And I'm running with him, and... You know, I'm running faster than I would have. He's pushing me. I want to quit constantly. It was terrible. And, you know, when I would try to quit, he would just keep pushing me. Tease me when I needed teasing, encourage me when I needed encouragement. One day my knee was really hurting. And I was like, hey, man, does your knee ever hurt when you're running? He's like, all the time. And I'm like, well, what do you do? All six of them. Yeah, what what do you do when it's hurting? What's the trick for that? He goes, I'll tell you exactly what to do. He said, open up a can of man. (laughs) Keep moving. A can of man. And I started laughing so hard thinking about can of man that I forgot that I was hurting, right? And so so then every time I'm like hurting, I keep thinking, open a can of man, you know, push through. And and now I've like used that in our family when our kids are going through something hard. Hey, open a can of man. But having a friend to push you and encourage you and run the race with you, because he was right there with me. You know, he was hurting too. He was right there with me. It makes a big difference. And I think all of us are called to have friends like that and be friends like that and be that kind of friend even to your spouse because your spouse should be your closest friend. And the race you're running with them is the most important one. You know what's interesting with that, as you say it, there, this is where the church, I think, has a disconnect with men because we're, as a church community, we're kind of soft on each other in discipline. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're a little harder on the world expecting them to act like the church but we're pretty soft on the church acting like the church. I actually think if men stood up and were men, open a can of man mm-hmm. in the church context, one-on-one, forget the, the – not with women, but one-on-one with each other, 
we would have a far stronger spiritual church. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. Get me out there. I'll come aboard. I'll open at five thirty tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'll open a can of man with you anytime. Yeah, that's good. Let's close with advice uh, for couples, husbands and wives, who are maybe uh, not clued into friendship building with your your spouse. And this is such a big one. I mean, your best friend should be your spouse. It, that's the person who knows you the most intimately, and also hopefully loves you the most. So how do you how do you build that friendship between each other? Man, I love that question because I truly believe the best marriages are built on a close friendship, you know, a best friendship. And uh, I would say, and this is something I was challenged in kind of early in our marriage, is really be willing to enter into their world that is different from your world. And for us, I remember in the early years, I was just like, I didn't grow up in a sports family. Like I grew up as a dancer, really an artsy family, but not a sports family. And um, And I would just always, in my mind and today, be like, that's just not me. And I, but I saw how much it meant to you. And I remember one time you, you pretty much like begged me, like, please just come to a pro football game with me. Please just come. <laughs> yeah. And somebody had good tickets. Like okay. It. Yeah. Good tickets. Good help. tickets yeah. do help. A so shopping we, spree also helps. Yes, it does. It does. So like we go, it happened to be in Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Oh, we were I living, we were living over there. I know. Right. So I didn't even so care. The, so the tickets were cheap. I didn't yeah, right. care. I did not Big care shopping spree. how good the team was or anything at the time. I don't even remember. But I was like, I'm going to do this just to see why he loves this so much. Well, I go there, and it just so happened, you all, they had the best game of their life at that oh, time. Wow. And there was they won by a kick or a something. A 50-yard field goal. So it was exciting. Time going out. And Ashley looked at me at the end, cheering. She goes, I get, I get it. it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, and I was like, when are we going to the next game? So then I've been to a Yankees game. I've been to um, a Red Sox game. So I'm, And now I want to go to well, with, and, with you because I see it. pulls like into know? her world. You know, I've, I've gone to – theater with her yes, when it wasn't I my thing that. like you know and all of a sudden I'm like like hey this is pretty good I, I watch shows with her that I would never watch never. on my own you know I just need to ask though was it as exciting going to the theater no we saw Aida it's not on Broadway anymore you had tears in your eyes it touched my heart it, it touched your heart yeah, it's, different it's, kind it's of a different kind of thing but I'll watch stuff with her that I had no interest <laughs> yeah. in just to be with her like she'll be watching oh, these good. wedding shows and I'm like we already got married why are we watching this you know and she's she's into and they're like you know or why are these girls raiding each other's weddings this seems lame but Four then weddings. After yeah. a few episodes in, I'm like, oh, that venue's not going to work. And, yeah. the, you know, that, that catering <laughs> that needs to change. Funny. And that, that dress is so last season, you know. Like, <laughs> but you're just leaning into oh, each gosh. other's world. And the more you can share, the better your friendship's going to grow. What does your can of man friend think of that <laughs> I have wedding Josh show? Have you know. disclosed this I, to I him? Have, uh, I've, I've had ca- cashed in a few man points. Josh, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'll do push ups. I'll, I'll punish didn't myself. I know it. about that. You're in trouble, man. <laughs> anyway, Dave and Ashley, this has been so fun. And, yes. you know, it's great to see how you guys interact. And you're, you know, proof is in the pudding. We're sitting here with you. You can tell you love each other, and it's fun. And that's the way it should be. And thanks for modeling it. And thanks for not only the book, The Naked Marriage, uh, but your blog and how you communicate. We're thankful you're going to be doing our chapel here at Focus on the Family for the staff. So that is wonderful as well. We appreciate that. And uh, man, if you are in that place, this isn't, as John said earlier, you know, if you're looking at divorce, we have resources for that, like Hope Restored and some other things. But if it's just clunking along and maybe some of the things we've talked about today, that emotion, that lack of friendship, direction, commitment, you know, it just doesn't seem 100%. 
get in touch with us. That's what we're here for. It can be so much better. And we have this great resource for you, The Naked Marriage, as our way of getting you involved in ministry. If you can make a gift of any amount, monthly's great. That's how Gene and I support the ministry. But a one-time gift is good too. So either way, send it and be part of the ministry and we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you. Yeah, donate today, request that book, and uh, find a variety of other resources to help strengthen your marriage. Our phone number is 800, the letter A in the word family, and we've got all the details at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Also, we're going to link over to our free marriage assessment. Over a million people have taken this. It's a terrific little resource, maybe five or ten minutes of your time, and it'll lead to hours of conversation uh, that you and your spouse can have because it'll point out things that are going well, and it will shine a light on some things that you might want to talk about and grow in. Dave and Ashley, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, we love you guys. Thanks for having us. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.